This morning we are talking about the peace that is ours in the Advent season. Pastor Barry last week kicking off our Advent uh, sermon series uh, just gave us a great image of, of these Advent readings and the Advent candles as, as just different gifts almost, gifts that God gives to us each week during the Christmas season. And last week we talked about the, the gift of hope. Today we're talking about the gift of peace at Christmas time. Now I have a little admission to make. If I'm being honest this morning, uh, the reality is peace usually isn't the first word that comes to mind for me when I think about Christmas. I don't know if any of you can relate to this, but when I get to the Christmas season, for me, like typically, like what I'm thinking is worry, busyness, stress. I mean, all of these different emotions that come with, with you know, the, the, the expectations of Christmas. I, I, I'm thinking about, you know, all the parties I got to get to and when am I going to find the time to do Christmas shopping and am I going to be able to afford all the presents everybody wants? And, you know, it's like all of these different dynamics that get wrapped up with the Christmas season. And pretty soon, the, the whole idea of peace just kind of falls to the wayside. I, I was actually out Christmas shopping uh, just a couple days ago and, you know, just the busyness of the mall and it was just crazy and chaos and I got in the car driving home and I heard this classic Amy Grant song. I wanted to play a clip for you this morning, see if you can relate to what she shares. How many of you can relate to that at Christmas season? <laughs> I, I could use a silent night uh, right about now. And I think that, you know, that really sums up the Christmas experience for a lot of people. And, and I want to assure you this morning, however, if that's kind of how you feel right now this Christmas season, you know, it's more about worry and busyness and stress and anxiety. Here's the deal. You're in good company. You're in good company because the reality is that very first Christmas, that was anything but a silent night. And it was hardly a picture of peace. You know, we, we get these idyllic visions of Christmas, and, and especially that first, that first Christmas Eve. How many of you have a nativity set at home, right? Uh, we have a nativity set at home, sort of like the one on this picture here. But, you know, you look at your nativity set when you get home this afternoon. And, and, and the nativity sets just give us this, like, picture of Christmas. Like, oh, it was just this beautiful scene. You know, here's Mary. She just gave birth, but she's wearing her Sunday best, you know. And, and then there's little baby Jesus. And he's just so happy lying in the manger, you know, with a smile on his face. And everybody's happy, and it's so peaceful. I mean, even the cow has a smile on his face, 
right? Like, and, and you think, like, this is the picture that so many people portray about Christmas. But the reality is, like, when you think about it, Christmas, that original Christmas Eve, it was anything but a picture of peace. And it was hardly a silent night. The, the kids we had up here earlier, one of, the, one of the passages that they shared with us this morning was from Luke chapter 2. And in Luke chapter 2, when you read that passage, it's the, the classic story of the nativity and the birth of Jesus. And, and in Luke chapter 2, it starts out with Mary and Joseph traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem because they had to register for a census that the Roman governor had decreed. And so Nazareth to Bethlehem, that's about an eight-day journey. Okay, eight-day journey by walking through the hills of the Judean countryside. Now, remember, Mary is in her third trimester of pregnancy, right? Ladies, how many of you would like to make an eight-day journey? I mean, if she was lucky, she was riding a donkey, but likely was walking for eight days with Joseph to Bethlehem in the third trimester of pregnancy. And then we read in Luke how they arrive in Bethlehem and she's about to give birth. She's going into labor, but there's no room in Bethlehem because everybody else is traveling to register for the census. So there's no room. There's no inn. She ends up giving birth to Jesus in a stable. All right. Again, this was hardly the idyllic picture of peace. I mean, think about giving birth in a stable, ladies, those of you who have given birth, right? This is hardly St. John's Hospital where my wife gave birth, you know, to our two kids. I mean, have you ever been in a stable or a barn with animals? All right, you, you, do you know what animals do? Do you know what that cow does? <laughs> Cows do three things. They eat, they slobber, and they poop. <laughs> That's the reality. And this is where Mary is giving birth to baby Jesus, and, and, and you can imagine like the chaos of what that scene would have been like, right? A woman giving birth in a stable, animals all around. It's dirty, it's grimy. She's been traveling for eight days. She hasn't had a bath. I mean, like the whole scene doesn't convey peace at all. And then Luke takes us to this outside scene of the shepherds out on the hillside outside of Bethlehem. And the shepherds are just out there having a peaceful night, watching their sheep, minding their own business. And all of a sudden the skies are lit up with an angel, all right, and the, and the shepherds are startled by this angel and this angelic message. And then the shepherds travel to Bethlehem where they go and they find Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. They walk into the stable. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph? Like, like they just went through this, you know, traumatic experience of giving birth in a stable. And now this company of shepherds shows up, right? Silent night, all right? No, this wasn't a silent night. All right, this was anything but a picture of peace. But friends, the reality is, is right in the midst of it all, right in the center of it all was Jesus, God in flesh, God with us, Emmanuel. And friends, this is what Christmas is all about. And this is what Christmas peace is all about. Peace is found in a person, and his name is Jesus. And so the reality for us here this Christmas season, if we are going to experience true peace at Christmas time and during this month that is so often chaotic and crazy, right? Remember all that stress, worry, busyness, anxiety that I talked about that, that I can so often fall into? You know why you fall into that? It's because we fail to keep Jesus at the center. We fail to keep Jesus at the center. We, we put all the presents and the parties and the performances, we put all of that stuff first and we forget that Christmas is ultimately about Jesus. And if we keep Jesus at the center, that's where, where we're going to experience the true peace that is ours at Christmas time. 
And so this morning, here's what I want to encourage us to do. I want to encourage us to fix our eyes and our hearts upon the true meaning of Christmas, upon the person of Jesus Christ, so that we can experience true peace this Christmas season. One of my favorite Christmas passages is from the prophet Isaiah. Kids shared it with us earlier this morning, Isaiah 9, 6. Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus, Isaiah was a prophet to Israel in the Old Testament. 700 years before Jesus, the prophet Isaiah prophesied the coming of the Messiah, the Savior. And Isaiah says this about this Messiah who's going to come 700 years later. He says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Isn't that awesome? Jesus is our Prince of Peace. And so again, if we're going to experience true peace this Christmas, we need to keep Jesus right at the center of it all. I want to share with you this morning three ways that we can find God's peace this Christmas season through Jesus Christ, our Prince of Peace. How, how does Jesus give us peace at Christmas? Well, number one, the first thing that we can find through Jesus and the most important thing that we can find through Jesus, in fact, the very heart of the Christmas message is that through Jesus we can find peace with God. I, I love... Luke chapter 2, that nativity story that we talked about earlier, the, the message of the angel that he came and shared with the shepherds outside of Bethlehem that night. In Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, we read these incredible words. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now what an awesome message, right? This is the heart of the, 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 the gospel story. This is the heart of the good news of Christmas. This is where Christmas peace finds its ultimate meaning, right? What was God's message that very first Christmas that he delivered through this angel to the shepherds? His message was, I bring good news of great joy for all the people. This is a message of good news for everyone, for the whole world. And what was the message of good news? The message of good news was that God was providing a Savior. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. That term Christ, Lord, Messiah, the, the promised one has arrived. Good news of great joy for all the people. A Savior has come. Now you think about that, that message, right? Uh, a Savior has come for all the people. That, that leads you to ask a question like, what do we need saving from? Right? What do we need saving from? And here is where we discover what is, is at the very heart of the entire story of the Bible. From the very beginning to the very end, the heart of the Bible story is that we need a Savior. And why do we need a Savior? Well, we need a Savior because we have fallen out of favor with God, our Creator. Now, how did that happen? Okay, Here's the reality, friends. Every single one of us in this room we are infected with a spiritual disease called sin. We are all sinners. And that word sin, that word sinner, that term, right, that's just a theological word that means rebellion. 
That's who we are. We are rebels against the God who made us, the God who created us. We choose to do life our way instead of God's way. See, all throughout God's word, he's told us how we are to live. He's told us his will, his standards for our lives. But if you're anything like me, sadly, so often I take my eyes off of what God wants for my life and I choose to do life my way instead of his way. That's sin. That's rebellion against God. And the Bible says that every single one of us is infected with this spiritual condition, this spiritual disease that leads us to rebel against our creator. Paul in Romans 3.10 says there's no one righteous. No, not one. All of us have sinned. And we've fallen short of the glory of God. See, here's our problem. God is holy. He's righteous. He knows no sin. He is morally perfect. And friends, if we're being honest with ourselves, none of us can attain that standard. We all know just how far short we fall of God's perfection, of his holy, righteous standards. Because every single day of our lives, we do things that dishonor God. We make choices that dishonor God. We think things that dishonor God. And that's what sin is. It's our rebellion that separates us from our creator. But again, the message of the gospel, the good news that the angel delivered to the shepherds is good news of great joy for all the people. A savior has come. See, we needed a savior to remedy this condition, to reconcile us from our separation from God. And that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came 2,000 years into this ago, 2,000 years ago into this world to bring us back into a right relationship with our Creator God. How would he do that? Well, this little baby Jesus, he would grow up to become a man. And he would ultimately go to the cross. And he would shed his blood as the perfect substitute, the sacrifice for our sin. Jesus Christ, when he went to the cross, he was the spotless lamb of God, the perfect lamb of God. He's the only person in all of history who lived a sinless life because he was both God and man. And so when Jesus went to the cross and shed his blood, he did that as a substitution for us. He paid the penalty for our sin. He died the death that we deserved because of our unrighteousness. And what God does then for us in this amazing gift that he's given to all people is God says, look, if you'll put your trust in my son Jesus and what he's done for you on the cross, I'm going to apply his blood over your life. And so God, our holy God, doesn't look upon our sinful, rebellious hearts anymore. He looks upon the shed blood of Jesus that covers our sinful, rebellious hearts. And because of the blood of Jesus, we can then come back into the holy presence of our creator, God. That's what Christmas is all about. That's the good news of great joy. A savior has come for all the people. The apostle Paul says it like this in Romans 5.1. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that word justified means to be made right again, to be brought back into a right relationship with God. We've been justified by faith. Again, this isn't by our works. It's not by what we do. It's not proving to God how good we are. No, we're justified by faith. We trust in Jesus. Faith in the Bible, faith in a scriptural context, isn't blind faith. It's not a leap of faith. It's not wishing or hoping. Faith in the Bible means means trust. And so we trust in what Jesus did by dying on the cross to justify us. It's trusting in Jesus that brings us back into a right relationship with God. And this is where we discover peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, if you want to experience peace with God this Christmas, it starts by putting your trust in this gift that he has offered us in his son, Jesus Christ. 
And if you haven't ever received that gift, friends, let me ask you, what on earth are you waiting for? Because peace with God is yours this Christmas if you'll simply embrace Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Now, the second amazing thing that we can discover this Christmas season through Jesus Christ, not only peace with God, but here's what this peace with God also provides in our lives. See, this this vertical peace with God has horizontal implications. And Jesus then offers us peace with life, peace with the circumstances of our lives. I love what Jesus shared with his disciples in John 14. John 14, 27, Jesus says to his disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus says you don't need to have troubled hearts. You don't need to be fearful. You don't need to allow the circumstances of your life to overwhelm you. Why? Because my peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. How does Jesus do that? Well, friends, when we put our trust in him and we believe in him by faith, he gives us his spirit. The Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. And he gives us his supernatural peace, no matter the circumstances of our lives. I I was reading a a story recently about uh, uh, an incredible Coast Guard rescue up in the Pacific Northwest off the coast of Oregon. This area up, up off the northwest coast of Oregon, it's called the Graveyard of the Pacific. There's more shipwrecks up in that area than any other place in North America. I've been up here many times. I speak at a Bible college there every spring up near Astoria, Oregon, where this Coast Guard station is off of Cape Disappointment. And and there are incredible stories of the Coast Guard making these amazing rescues in these areas where the waves are just incredibly rough and the storms get crazy and there's sandbars out there that ships get wrecked on all the time. And, and, And I want you to imagine, friends... Imagine being one of these ships, a a small fishing vessel, and you're miles off the coast of Oregon, and your boat motor dies, and you're stranded out there in the middle of these waves, and they're crashing over you, and you're about to get shipwrecked and destroyed and lost. And all of a sudden, out in the distance, you see this Coast Guard vessel racing through the waves, racing through the wind, racing through the storm, coming towards you. And friends, can you imagine the sense of peace you would feel? upon seeing this Coast Guard vessel coming to your rescue. I I was reading this story about this incredible rescue that took place recently, and I couldn't help but think, as as I thought of this image, I couldn't help but think, this is what Jesus does for us. This is what Jesus does for us in the circumstances of our lives. No matter the storms raging around us, Jesus promised to come racing right into the midst of those and bring us his peace. The Apostle Paul, he he puts it in an incredible way in Philippians chapter 4. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that awesome, friends? No matter the storms you're facing in your life, we can call upon Jesus and we can cast all of our anxieties on him. We can turn to him in prayer and say, Jesus, I'm in the midst of some crazy stuff right now. I'm in the midst of some tumultuous events, some trials, some challenges. Jesus, I need your peace. And Jesus promises to come racing into the midst of that circumstance. And he offers us a peace that surpasses all understanding. Why? Because it's a supernatural peace. It's a peace that only God can give. 
Some of you in this room, you've experienced that peace. You know that peace in the midst of the trials and the hardships and the hurts. It's a peace that Jesus wants each and every one of us to experience this Christmas if we'll simply keep him at the center. My family and I, a couple weeks ago, we had a, had a blessed experience. I was teaching in Maui, Hawaii uh, for Youth with a Mission, great mission organization. And uh, while we were there in Maui, we got to meet a bunch of people who were impacted by the tragic fire in Lahaina back, on, uh, back in August, August 8th. You may remember hearing on the news how this wildfire came racing down the mountains and basically destroyed this entire town. Thousands of families were displaced, hundreds of homes destroyed, uh, hundreds of over 100 people died. I mean, it was just a catastrophic event, tragic event. That whole town of Lahaina, it looks like, like a bomb went off. All that's left is anything made of concrete. Everything else is black and dead. Just a tragedy. While we were there, we had a chance to meet and interact with a number of Christians from, from the town of Lahaina. And it was really powerful hearing their stories. In the midst of their hurt, in the midst of their pain, many of them have lost family members. Almost all of them have lost their homes. They've been living in hotel rooms for three months now. Just tragic stuff. But the Christians there, the Christians there to a person conveyed to us this incredible sense of peace. It was amazing hearing the story of how the, the wildfire came on a Tuesday. And just a few days later, the Christians of Lahaina Christians of Lahaina Sunday morning, they gathered for church. Some of the churches met in coffee shops, some of them met in hotels, some of them met in restaurants, some in public parks. But the Christians got together to worship. Why? Because they knew that in the midst of this catastrophic event, that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Friends, I want to ask you this morning, what wildfires are raging in your life today? Maybe it's something in a relationship in your life. Maybe it's a relationship with your spouse or with your teenager. Maybe it's a situation at work. Maybe it's financial concerns this Christmas season. And it just feels like this wildfire is going to overwhelm you. Friends, let me encourage you to give those concerns to Jesus this morning and let him give you his peace. Jesus promises us a peace that passes all understanding. And we can experience that when we keep him at the center. The third thing that Jesus offers us then, not only peace with God, not only peace in the circumstances of our lives, but Jesus offers us peace with others. Peace with others. How does Jesus help us experience peace with others? Well, through three, three means. Through his ministry, number one, through his model, what he did, and then through his means, through his empowerment. Let's take a look at these, th these three ways that we can experience peace in our relationships. First of all, through Jesus' ministry. I love what the Apostle Paul shares with us in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says to us, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Now that last phrase there is the whole key, right? Paul says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You know, you think about the struggles that we so often have in our relationships with others. We think about, you know, trials in our marriages, our family strife, or strife at work with our coworkers, right? 
And Jesus says, be kind to one another. Forgive one another. Tender-hearted towards one another. As God in Christ did to you. See, here's the thing. When we look at the model of Jesus, at the, at the ministry of Jesus, when I look at the ministry of Jesus and I think about what Jesus did for me, how on earth can I refuse to do the same for others? If Jesus did this for me, how can I not do this for my wife? If Jesus did this for me, how can I not do this for my kids or my coworkers or my neighbors? See, when we look at the ministry of Jesus, it gives us the encouragement to do the same in our lives. But it's not just the ministry of Jesus we can look to. We can look to the model of Jesus. See, Jesus gave us an example to follow. I, I love the, the scene at the Last Supper, the night Jesus was uh, betrayed and arrested before his crucifixion. At the scene of the Last Supper, what does Jesus do? Jesus takes a servant's basin full of water. He takes a towel. He gets down on his knees and he goes around the table and he washes each and every one of his disciples' feet. Even the feet of Judas, the disciple who would ultimately betray him. He washes their feet. This is the most menial task in the first century Israel, to get on your knees and to wash the feet like a servant would do. But Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, is on his knees washing his disciples' feet. And he says to his disciples, I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And then a few verses later, Jesus says this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus calls us to love one another just as he's loved us. And how did he love us? He showed us. He got down on his knees to selflessly serve us, to sacrificially serve us. And so Jesus says, look it, if you follow my model, right? If you follow my model in your relationships, friends, let me tell you, you're going to experience incredible peace. When you get down on your knees to serve sacrificially your husband or your wife or your kids or your family members, right? When we love our families the way Jesus loved us, when we serve them sacrificially, let me tell you something. You got a husband and a wife who each and every day, their desire is how can I serve? How can I selflessly serve you? And the other one is saying the same thing. How can I selflessly sacrifice and serve you? When you have two people committed to doing that on a daily basis, you want to know what that relationship is going to look like? It's going to be a relationship of peace. So we follow Jesus' model. And then thirdly, we allow Jesus to empower us in this. We experience Christ's means. See, Jesus doesn't call us to do anything that he doesn't empower us to do. And I love what the Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Philippians chapter 2. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his 
good pleasure. What is Paul saying here? Paul's saying, look, you've got to work out your salvation. You have a role to play in this. And that extends to the call to love and serve and sacrifice for others. You need to work at this, right? You can't be a spiritual couch potato. You have to put in the effort. You have to put in the work. You have to strive to love your spouse faithfully and serve them sacrificially. Okay? The, the word work out here in the Greek is katergazomai. The Romans used that word in reference to mining a cave of its precious metals. We're going to mine this thing thoroughly. We're going to dig all the riches out of it we can. That's our responsibility in our relationships. We're called to do everything in our effort to love and serve and sacrifice for others. But then look at what Paul says. For it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so in other words, what Paul is saying is, look at as you strive, as you work, as you mine the depths of God's call in your life to serve and sacrifice for others, God is going to be at work in you. And there he uses a different Greek word. There he uses the word energieho, which is where we get our English word energy from. It's a different word that means to supply, to provide sufficient empowerment. So in other words, Paul is saying, look, at as you're working, God is going to provide the supernatural energy in your life to accomplish this. And then look what Paul says just two chapters later. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so Jesus tells us, look at, love others, serve others, sacrifice for others. And by the way, as you do that, I'm going to give you my supernatural empowerment. Well, Jason, oh man, you, you just don't know how hard my husband is to get along with. Really? Jesus says, as you strive to love your husband and serve your husband, that God will empower you to do that. And he says, you can do all things through him who strengthens you. Friends, when we put Jesus at the center, at the center of even those most difficult of relationships, God can do a supernatural work of transformation and empowerment for you to love your spouse, love your kids, love your neighbor, whoever that difficult person is in your life. God can supernaturally empower you to love them and serve them in a way that restores peace to that relationship. So we look to Christ's ministry, we follow his model, we trust in his means. This coming Wednesday, Wednesday, December 13th, my wife and I are going to be celebrating our 20th anniversary. Pretty good, huh? That's pretty good, 20 years. Now I know there's some people in this room who have far surpassed that. Praise the Lord for you guys and your model. But you know, 20 years, I feel like that's a pretty big accomplishment. I've had the privilege over the years of, of uh, providing premarital counseling for a number of couples. And, and one of the things that younger couples often ask me in our premarital counseling sessions, they'll say, you know, Jason, what's the secret? What's the secret to a, to a long-term, happy, healthy marriage? Friends, there's only one secret. The secret is to keep your eyes on Jesus and to keep him right at the center. That, I mean, that's what my wife and I have done. All right, and I'll tell you, marriage is not always easy. All right, like, yeah, Pastor Jason, yeah, I am not an easy guy to live with or to love. All right, you can ask my wife. She'll testify to that. <laughs> but you know what? We both keep Jesus at the center. And each and every day, we look to his ministry, we follow his model, we trust in his means, and he empowers us to love and serve one another. And I'll tell you what, man, I love her more today than I did the day we got married 20 years ago. And it's all because of Jesus. Jesus.
See, this is what Jesus does for us. He gives us this relationship with God that then impacts the circumstances of our lives, including our relationships with others. This is why Paul says in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You see, friends, true peace is possible this Christmas. You can know it. Peace with God, peace in the circumstances of your life, peace in your relationship with others. This peace can be yours if you'll just keep Jesus right there at the center. Let me close with three questions for you. What would it look like for you this Christmas season to put Jesus at the center? Maybe for you this morning, it's about putting him at the center of your relationship with God, maybe for the very first time. Maybe you've never put your trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Maybe you've been living your life in rebellion against God, and you think, man, I'm, you know, I'm a pretty good person. You're not a pretty good person. I, I hate to break it to you, but like, that's just the reality. All right, like if you're grading yourself on a curve, God doesn't grade on a curve, okay? Like maybe you're, I'm batting 250, Jason, I'm doing pretty good. No, you're not. God's batting 1,000, and he's the standard. And if you haven't put your trust in Jesus, friends, you are still separated and alienated from God. But Jesus says, I got a gift for you, a gift that leads to life. And maybe today it's about putting your faith and trust in Jesus for the very first time. Maybe for you, what would it look like to put God at the center of the circumstances of your life? You know, maybe you're struggling financially today. Maybe you're struggling at your job or at school and there's these circumstances that just seem out of your control. Have you cast your anxieties on the Lord? Have you asked him to give you his supernatural peace that passes all understanding? If you haven't, friends, let me encourage you to do that because Jesus will answer that prayer. And he'll give you his supernatural peace. He doesn't necessarily promise to change the circumstances, but he promises, just like that Coast Guard vessel, to race right into the middle of it with you and give you his peace. What would it look like for you to put Jesus at the center of your relationships today? Maybe a challenging relationship with your spouse or a family member. Or maybe you're already dreading Christmas Day when the family's coming over and you just know, like, oh my goodness, it's just going to turn into a chaotic scene and we're going to end up fighting about politics again. It's just nothing fun about it. What if you put Jesus at the center of that day? What if you started to put him at the center of that day right now and say, Jesus, we want you to come and transform that day. Help it to not be about all the presence and the politics and the party, and, but let it be about you, your person, the Prince of Peace. And if you put Jesus at the center and allow him to transform that experience, he'll do that for you. So I want to encourage you this morning, as we head into the Christmas season, as we look ahead to a couple weeks, keep Jesus right there front and center. He's the Prince of Peace, and in him you can experience the perfect peace of Christmas. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for that great performance the kids provided for us earlier and just the powerful message that they shared with us about your incredible love for us. And we thank you, Jesus, that you truly are our Prince of Peace. And that in you, we can know the perfect peace of Christmas. And Lord, I just pray for my friends here this morning. If there's anybody here today who first and foremost needs to put you front and center in their hearts and in their lives, that, that they might just invite you right now to come into their lives and that they might acknowledge their need for you, recognizing that, yes, Jesus, I know I've rebelled against you. I've been living my, my life my way instead of your way. Jesus, today I want you to come and be my Prince of Peace. Friends, if you ask him to come into your heart and into your life, he'll do that. 
And he'll be your savior, your prince of peace this Christmas. And Lord, for those of us wrestling with different circumstances and trials and challenges, Lord, I just pray that we would cast all of those anxieties upon you. And that in that, we might experience your peace that passes all understanding. We thank you for your great and precious promises, Lord. We thank you that you promise that you will be there in the midst of our difficulties and struggles and trials, giving us your peace. And Jesus, I pray for those friends of mine here struggling with relationships in their lives that are challenging and hard, Lord. I pray that you would just go right into the heart of those marriages and into those homes and into those circumstances, Lord, and that you would be the Prince of Peace and bring peace to those relationships as, pe as my friends trust in you and look to you and hope in you. Because Jesus, you really are the Prince of Peace. And so, Lord, we ask for your peace this Christmas. We thank you for all the amazing blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ. And we pray this in your great name. Amen. Friends, would you please stand for our benediction this morning? It comes from Romans chapter 15, verse 13. And now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And all God's people said... Amen. God bless you and have a great week. Hey friends, thanks for joining us online today. If you have further questions, are in need of prayer, or would like to give financially to the ministries of Lakes Free Church, I encourage you to visit our website, lakesfree.org. There you'll also find information regarding our upcoming events. You can access all of our past sermon series, along with a host of other valuable resources. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our 